Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, and welcome back to the Utah Puck Report. I'm your host, Jay Stevens. We have a huge show today, lots of guests, as with, you know, always with me, yes. co-host Gary Michaels. Hi, how are you? And very special co-host, we brought her over from FM 100, we have Rebecca Cressman with us today. Hey, I appreciate you guys uh, letting me have some time on the eyes. Oh, we, we appreciate <laughs> you being here. This is uh, part two of our two-part episode. Uh, we're fe- featuring Ben Meisner, who wrote the article, I'm not Connor McDavid, and, and we started getting into the seriousness of the article and the, uh, you know, the seriousness of depression or any kind of anxiety with hockey players, with athletes, and we want to we want to talk about how to help yourself and how to get help, and we want to make it so it's easier for people to talk about in the locker room or you know let people know that they're not alone is yeah. is mostly what we're here for. So we brought Ben back. Ben, thanks for being here. Thank you. And Ben, once again, you're uh, what part of Germany are you in? I'm just south of Munich, uh, in a town called Bad Tilts. Oh wow! And then very, very special guest today, Dr. Dan Freegain. Dan, how are you? Good to be with everybody. Dano is a is a hockey guy. He's also uh, been in Salt Lake. You came to Salt Lake like 30 years ago, right? This that's when you moved here. Yes, a long, long time ago, 1989. Yeah, I think that's the year I met you, and uh, you know, you've been a, a constant source of uh, knowledge for me. I always come to you for advice, and our kids well, played I'll hockey together. And... With you. <laughs> so, Daniel, can you tell us a l- just a little bit about your, your hockey history and then your educational history and what you're doing now? Oh, well, um, I'm actually Canadian um, from Calgary, Alberta, ranch kid there, um, love sports. All the physical things, did all those. I made an Olympic team when I was young, did a degree, played, went on in the world, did more degrees, played some more, eventually ended up in Salt Lake City uh, with the old Golden Eagles. Yeah, awesome. uh, When I was there, I studied and became a doctor and been working in player development ever since. So my background is hockey, but I do a lot of work in soccer and I've been with U.S. Olympic teams and various national team programs. So my specialty is the mental game. So I'm happy to be with you guys today. I, I couldn't think of a better person to, to bring in for this. And uh, so I want to I pick back up with Ben. Ben, we just started talking about your article. And the first line in your article is, all I had to do was step off the chair. And can you tell us a little bit about what had put you in that point and just kind of walk us up to that? 
Oh. I don't even really know where to start. I mean, it was probably a combination of just uh, of of just a series of events that kind of started from my uh, from my childhood, where I kind of had some trouble uh, trouble with interacting with kids and uh, trouble fitting in, and led to some anxieties and eventually to depression, and then uh, kind of OCD surfaced. And uh, before you know it, I just found myself in a really deep dark place, and uh, I felt like there was really no way out, and uh, my, my pain had become greater than my ability to cope. And, uh, that's basically what led me to feeling like taking my life was the only option left for me at the time. And, uh, yeah, it was definitely a scary place to be in. What, uh, so now that's when you're in Germany. Had, had you started having these feelings as a professional right from day one when you were a professional hockey player? Well, I'm not, I'm not going to comment on when and where that incident was. Um, I have to leave that ambiguous. Uh, but it was at some point during my professional career. And, uh, I mean, it was it, – it really came out during my professional career just because of the, the environment that professional athletes are in. It's a relatively unstable one. It's a result-oriented business. And, uh, you know, I, I definitely knew that going into it. I entered with my eyes open, but, uh, I really had no idea just how it could be. And, uh, once you're in it, you love it, you hate it, uh, a little bit at the same time. And, uh, you find yourself in unique situations. And if you're struggling with a mental illness, uh, those unique situations that arise more often than they would maybe in another job, uh, can really cause you a great amount of distress and uh, just really lead you to a lonely, dark place. Ben, this is Rebecca. Um, I'm one of the guest hosts today. Uh, first of all, I just wanted to say that reading your article of, as, a, as an adult, as a mother, as a member of our community, um, the whole story that you talked about, your childhood and the anxieties from being bullied, and then you walked us through then, you know, playing at the elite level even as a teen and then moving into professional hockey, there has been a lot of pressures on your little life, right, even as a kid. And so I just wanted to say thank you for having the courage to to paint the picture for us because lots of times when people are quiet and they don't talk about uh, depression or anxiety, um, we're not able to kind of get the full picture of all the factors that are influencing them. And and it, it, it just gave me more compassion uh, reading about um, what you were experiencing all along the way. I, I just had a quick question. Was there a moment in your uh, teenage years or childhood where you got some help with with your anxieties? No, never. I uh, During my teenage years, I, I didn't do a thing about it because uh, I didn't really know as a kid, you know, I, I, I didn't know any different. I just felt that like this is kind of how it is. And, you know, at, at times my uh, my worries probably came across as just having a surplus of passion for what I did and just extreme, you know, really caring about what I was doing and wanting to be the best and all this. But uh, I never really had the opportunity to because the one thing that's difficult uh, when you're that age and whatnot is 
you know, I was at the point where I was starting to move around a lot. I mean, I, uh, I went to, I don't know, must've been six schools in like seven years, maybe at one point I went to one school for grade seven and eight, another school, grade nine, another school, grade 10, two years at the same school for 11 and 12, and then a postgraduate year. So, I mean, that basically takes me from when I was, you know, 13 all the way up till I was 19 and when I entered college as a freshman. So there is really no way that I think some teens and whatnot who are living the hockey life can really find someone that they can see regularly for maybe a year or two. Because as soon as you find someone, you establish connection, then you're you're moving again. Mm. And that's the hurdle that we're facing in professional hockey is, you know, say you're in one city and you're there for a month and you're having some problems. You finally get up the courage to kind of reach out to someone and you find someone. Maybe you have one or two appointments and then what do you know? The next thing you're traded or you're reassigned somewhere else. And then, you know, who knows how long you're there. And so you're you're constantly kind of chasing the chasing your tail a little bit and a big part about health and wellness is finding a psychologist that specializes in kind of the the symptoms that you're showing who could properly diagnose you who can properly help you and a big part of that is the connection that you make with that person and you have to feel comfortable and you have to feel safe and uh, you can't just find that with just anybody who's a psychologist regrettably and so for me as a as a teen that that was one of the reasons why you know I I felt like it was a little bit hopeless and on top of that I I was just I was just scared I was a teen I was a, I mean who do you go to I mean I knew my parents would have had my back and they they would do anything for me uh they did some some crazy stuff for me to even be able to have a a professional career like I do now growing up and but I mean I, you you go to your parents and you you, you know, some your kids, you're just you're worried that sometimes you might they might not take your feelings as being valid because you're you're young or you're a kid or you're a teenager. And, you know, teenagers minds can kind of be all over the place because it's one of the stages in life where you're really developing. And I, I think for me, I was just kind of worried that I wasn't going to be seen as as valid or what I was saying wasn't going to be taken seriously. But Looking back on it, it was a it was a huge mistake on my part. I wish I would have said something to my parents earlier, because then I would have, you know, I wouldn't have had all these extra years to keep digging myself a big hole. That you're a child. I mean, that's my first thought, right? Is that when you're a child, yeah. you don't know, you know a lot more when you're an adult. But, well, and it's tough mm-hmm. too because you're playing hockey the whole time. So you're and you're moving around every year. And so as you start to get a relationship with your team. That's not going to be one of your first conversations is, you know, talking about depression or whatever issues you're, you're battling. You're going to just talk about hockey and yeah. you're going to try to put forth the effort to stay on the team. So you feel more, yeah. you get more isolated and you just, you feel like you're alone. But since your article, have more people reached out to you and told you that they were in similar situations? Yeah, I've I've received uh, around fifteen hundred emails from from people of all walks of life, and I'm I'm happy to say that uh, as of I think three days ago, I've responded to every one of them. Oh, wow! Uh, so it's taken me quite some time, but I wanted to make sure everyone got to a response that was kind of you know individual to their asks and whatnot, and just like a not just a thanks for reading, good luck type of thing. 
But uh, I do feel that out of the emails that I've got, I was definitely, I'd be lying if I didn't say I wished I'd heard from some more hockey players. Uh, I heard from plenty of athletes. I heard from uh, some celebrities. I heard from, you know, uh, some professional athletes, uh, some really big names that I was just couldn't believe that were actually taking the time to email me or even having read my article. But I really uh, was hoping to hear from some more hockey players. And uh, I'm hoping that the more we, we do things like this and the more we talk about it, the more that people will, will feel comfortable because, the, you know, I, I, I spoke with Danny Carcello uh, the other day and he, you know, he's in a, uh, he's in a battle right now with uh, the hockey culture. And I have to say, I, I support him and I back him and what he's doing. And I think that some of that hockey culture that he talks to about its kind of toxic masculinity, as he puts it, uh, is really still holding people back from speaking about issues like mental health and depression and anxiety that could cause anybody anywhere to judge them as being soft or weak. Right. And we're trying to convey the message that their vulnerability could save someone's life. So, uh, Dr. Friedian, as, as you're hearing all this and the numbers that have reached out to him, is, and obviously as, as a sports psychologist, this has to be something that you run into all the time. Do, are, do you find that players are having a hard time opening up to you about it or reaching out to you? Well, uh, with me, the answer is no. But let me just go back here because... What Ben was saying, I think we have to pick up on, and Rebecca said it earlier, said, you know, if you're 15, you don't know the difference between generalized anxiety and situational anxiety. That's completely unreasonable for a, a teenager to understand and then diagnose and then treat for themselves. That's not rational. So what you have to have is you have to have some intelligent people in the system, whether it's the school system or the sports system, to be able to allow people to function. So that means in today's culture, yeah, we're all there, but you got to get access to us. Now, let me put this into perspective because this is really, uh, you know, we're talking about hockey, and you can have an argument, who's the greatest hockey player ever? I'm afraid to weigh and in. Tell me who it is. That's yeah, Wayne Gretzky. S- Sid Mario Crosby. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> okay, so Sid's, you, a, you Sid's a friend, so i got to go with Sid. There's really only one answer, and the answer is Bob Yore. <laughs> you look at Bob Yore, oh, but this is science. Take a look at Bob Yore, and his career was really short. He functioned for about four years. He, had, he uh, got knee uh, injuries, and the treatment of the day was what we called a, sur- a, a zipper surgery. And they split him open with a knife, took a crowbar, cranked a femur, hammered it with the chisel, sewed, sewed him back up. It was so poor that uh, athletes of that day really didn't perform. They didn't come back very well. And so you're looking at Joe Namath, uh, Johnny Unitas, Bob Yore. They essentially were a shadow of their potential. Go forward a little bit, and you have orthoscopic surgery. Just 10 years later, changes the game completely. What's happening in the psych world right now is we've got 
you know, brain imaging techniques. You've heard of PET scans, positron emission tomography, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Allows us to see what's going on in the brain. So we've got the science going. It's it's jumping leaps and bounds, and now we have to get it into the culture to say, okay, here's how we deal with concussions. Have we changed concussion protocols? You bet. Right. This particular issue, when you talk about cognition and anxiety, depression, yeah, we, we have to change the culture. So that's, that's what Ben's doing with the culture right now, and that's what we're trying to do with this particular program. Let people know this is normal. This happens to everybody. You have to learn to cope. If we do that, you're healthy. And you're talking about the system changing. Ben was uh, was talking about the culture. So in other words, we need to, as a system, make it safe for someone and respectable uh, to report their issues and then put those tools in place. Yes. And I, yeah, but but I still see a problem with that. It can't the... be just mental weakness anymore. You know, it used to be battle fatigue, now it's post-traumatic stress. We've changed. Right. The amount of concussions I've had, I can't even count them. Now it, that doesn't happen. Yeah. Very different protocols. So for the young guys that are out there right now, what's, what is your best advice to them? What, what, are we, what are we trying to tell the young guys that might think they're suffering from this? Who do they talk to or what, what are, what's the best avenue? Well, you know, this is what I do, and when you get guys like me in systems, we're educating people to, you know, that are working with the staff every day or the players every day. So I'm educating the trainers. I'm educating the coaches, or I'm on the staff, and you have to make the distinction. So, And Ben can speak to this. And you can pick it up pretty quick. You know, are you getting anxious, nervous, you know, every day, every other day? And you kind of ask these questions. And if the answer is, you know, every day I just don't feel very good, well, that's something very different that you have to treat. That's trade anxiety. That, And it's a bit more rare, but it's more dangerous because people are afraid just to come out of their house. They're afraid of being evaluated. That's different than when, you know, Rebecca gets on her first radio show for the very first time, and she's nervous. That's performance anxiety. Now, they're both called anxiety, but they're very, very different. Mm -hmm. So you have to educate people on the differences there. And then you track over time. What are you doing? What are you saying to yourself? What are you eating? What are you sleeping? How are you sleeping? Uh, all those things, you know, whether there's genetic influences, which there is, there's different tolerances, you can do this really quickly and get people up and moving if the system's working. But, you know, as I listen to Ben, my goodness gracious, moving around in junior hockey, yeah, I understand that one. There was probably school psychologists there that you never got to. That's tragic. So, and in our previous interview, it's fun. Ben actually talked about how he was, he got to the point where he was afraid, right? Ben, you said you were afraid to go outside at times or get in a car. Oh yeah. It was night. It was, uh, it was, yeah, I was, I was nervous about everything. And for me, it wasn't so much the process of just going outside. I just felt like everyone was looking at me or everyone was like, judging me or like it got even worse once I you know came to Germany and I was playing in the 
the DEL, which is you know, it was one of the it's one of the best leagues in the world and one of the best in Europe, and people recognize you, and and now you're you're playing for a, a city and you you have a bad game and the next thing i know i'm like out in the grocery store and people are wanting a picture or an autograph and like and you know the people who don't want that they i worry that they're they'd be looking at me and saying like oh well, this guy blew the game last night or this guy this or this guy that i mean i mean I even I had a fan once stop me outside of a Irish pub that I lived across the street from at one point when I was playing over here, and he said, "Yeah, I hope." Uh, he said, "I heard you you're going here next year," and I said, "Oh, I can't I can't really comment on that," and he's like, "I hope so because you're you're brutal," and I was like, "Oh, thanks, man." Wow. Uh, and so like that's the type of. Uh, when you have some stuff happen like that, like and you're you're struggling like I was, you start to feel like wherever you go, wherever you turn, people are just looking at you and judging you, and and that's that's where my fear was. It wasn't so much the process of like, okay, like I'm I'm gonna go outside now, and you know I'm not gonna get hit by a bus or a train or whatever. It was just more so the the fear of judgment and being judged negatively, and that's all that I felt that people were doing was judging me negatively mm. and to make it worse, people who didn't even know me, people who didn't even know what was going on or, or anything. And, and that was, that was, that was something that I had a hard time with. Uh, doctor, uh, I'll go back to Dr. Dan for just a minute. And Ben, thanks for sharing that. I have to weigh in as a parent of a former hockey player uh, and, and athletes, right? All the boys involved in athletics. Uh, are, can we see that, that early intervention would have and could have changed the arc of Ben's experience? In other words, if we as parents or if we as coaches or fellow players see these things, know about them earlier, we can actually get that support in earlier so that it ha- doesn't worsen to the point where he's experiencing such anxiety when he's just doing his daily life? Yeah, there's Dr. Dan. Yeah, the answer is absolutely yes. And in fact, as it can be at age two or three, you know, you, um, Rebecca, you probably remember having children. And, Jay, you've got children. Gary, I don't know if you've got children, but mm-hmm. I've got kids. And, you know, they learn to walk, and at age two, they walk away for about uh, two yards, and they turn around and they look at you, and they see you looking at them. So they turn away from you, and they, they walk another two yards, and they stop, and they look back. We call that having a secure base. When they know you're there, they'll go out and run around. And different kids will go further. Some kids will go less. But if you've got that kind of secure base, you go off and you test the limits. Now, if you've got a hockey program and the coach and the parents are crazy and the language of the locker room is bullying and fighting, or win at all costs, and it's, you know, a rec program, and they're not teaching anything, teamwork, coping skills, communication, all the things that hockey's supposed to be, then you don't gain anything. You could be a great player, but you don't learn any skills, any real skills that allow you to be resilient. And when I say tough, that's what I mean. Not big and strong and can punch something, Tough means you can continue on, train, get better, be resilient over time. 
So those things you can teach at a very young age. And it's in our culture, all the, the information is there. The best cultures teach this. That's what we want to do for our kids, get them into those good, you know, resilient cultures. It's, it's hard as a coach to, you know, I, I coached for 17 years, and I've, I've had players come to me with different complaints. And, you know, I'm even a paramedic in my real life, and kids come to me with injuries or they talk about concussions, and it makes me uncomfortable in a different role to, to know whether or not this kid is really having a concussion or if he's just trying to miss practice or the game was getting too physical for him. But to have a have a kid come to me, and a, a couple times it's happened, and I've tried to reach out. And, and Dano, you know, I, I reached out to you when I had a, a a player commit suicide that I was coaching. And mm-hmm. it's how can we make guys like I said, I'm in the healthcare profession. I'm when people are calling nine one one, I'm going to their houses all the time. And yet, a player talking to me about being depressed or you know having weird feelings like this it makes me uncomfortable and i don't know what to do i don't know what my role is like how do we make how do we change that culture like cuz do you go tell the parents do you go like, how much more time do you put into this kid cuz i always try to be the kid's friend and talk to him and let him let him vent or but i'm i'm not a professional so it's just yeah when this is dr dan again it, you can look at the the staffs of you know, sports teams in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and they keep getting bigger and there's more people on the staff. And uh, like I kind of made that distinction, uh, I was playing when we didn't have such a thing as athletic trainers. There was no such thing. And I remember in 1978, the first time we had an athletic trainer, a qualified one, all of a sudden we had 15 people lined up for treatments. Mm-hmm. But, and so you go, what the heck just happened? Did we all become injured? Well, no, but see, see athletic trainers now, and they will say a certified athletic trainer, they certify, they become the gatekeepers for a lot of this kind of thing. And they're not, um, you know, divvying out playing time or contracts. So there's a health kind of gate that they keep and they become pretty influential there for the rest of the medical team and the support staff. So that particular culture, um, you know, it's evolving again. And I think it's good. We've got more expertise, more people involved, allows coaches to coach, players to play, concussion specialists to do this, strength people to do this, nutritionists to do this, and the psych guys to do their stuff. Ben, I've got a, Dr. Dan, thank you for that. Ben, I want to go back to you really quick. Uh, where, sure. uh, what do you think would have made the difference when you were afraid of revealing your mental health issues or your anxiety or depression because you were worried it might impact your employability, whether another group would pick you up? Uh, where could you see um, a safe, can you envision, is there something you've already kind of created in your mind? This is what would have made the difference for me, for somebody who's playing a sport like hockey, whose livelihood, you know, is dependent upon his ability to perform, what would have been the safety net for you so that you could have talked openly and pursued the health care that you needed? Knowing that other athletes like me existed. Mm. As simple as that. If, uh, you know, uh, it was a great sign of comfort for me to to read Corey Hirsch's article to to read uh, Clint Malarchuk's book and his article on, on the Players Tribune as well uh, and that's why 
I, those two guys were, they're always in the back of my mind. And I always thought like, man, like when I get healthy, like I gotta, I've got to share my story somehow. And, and lucky enough, I was able to do it on a phenomenal platform that I'm be forever grateful for. Uh, it's just about showing people that there are plenty of people like me and Corey and Clint, uh, who exist out there. Who are who have struggled? Who are are struggling? Because so few people talk about it, you can't help but feel. Even though, you know, the stats say one in five or this, that, and the other thing. I mean, if you don't see other people talking about it, it doesn't really manifest in your mind that it actually is real. Mm. And therefore, you'll you're bound to to feel alone, and you're bound to feel scared and you're more likely to just internalize it and suffer in silence, which is, and so for me, that's one of the the reasons why I wanted to share my story. I wanted people who are currently struggling out there to know that there is someone like me out there uh, who has gone through it, who's said their story, and it, it hasn't affected my employability one bit, in my opinion. I've uh, I've had one of the best years um, of my hockey career uh, this year. Uh, you know, mental health-wise, I haven't had any issues, and it's been a real blessing. And uh, I just want people to know that they, they can get through it and that there's lots of people just like them out there doing great things that they don't even know about because they're too afraid to talk about it. That's really beautiful, by the way. Thank you, Ben. Ben, what was your first step to recovery? What what was the what would you say was your first decision that started making you healthy again? Probably, as cliche as it sounds, probably just realizing and really, really realizing. I emphasize that 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 I had a problem. That it wasn't this. It wasn't just normal anymore. It wasn't just determination or passion being you know confused uh it it wasn't drive like i i had a problem that that the feelings i was feeling about worrying about the future or worrying about the past or worrying about this or that or things having to be a certain way or the need for control and order like that when it started to to reach certain levels you know uh i i I finally realized it had a problem because like I said, when I was younger, you know, people would just label me as like, well, he's just, he's just intense or he's just driven or he's just extremely hard worker. or He just cares a lot or he's just a, a neat and tidy person or he's just, you know, organized, you know, and that's kind of what I heard. And so I, again, like Dr. Dan touched on, you don't really know any different because you're you're a kid and you're just kind of trying to figure life out and you got a lot going on and and as I finally got older and I started to to see that I had trouble interacting with people that I couldn't I couldn't like make small talk I couldn't just be in a group of people comfortably that I had a, a difficulty making friends I I had a a, a desire not to make friends uh, I had uh, feelings of wanting to be alone all the time of not liking to be around people, not even liking people and just, you know, all these contradicting feelings. And that that's when I really started to feel that 
you know, I had a problem because it just kind of followed me around. I couldn't escape it. So Dan, what would you, what would you say to that too? What, so his, his first step is to admit that it, it was an issue. You're talk, let's say we've got 5,000 people listening right now and 500 of them are affected by this. What, what can you tell them right now? How can we start them on the road to healing? Well, anxiety is normal, but you have to be able to learn from other people. That's what Ben's doing. He's becoming the master. He's like Yoda now. <laughs> right? So when people have anxiety, what do you Uh-oh. And go into yourself? Or do you say, huh, what do I do? And really, anxiety is something that you can master. And so you have to cope. And this is what we, in the sport world, we say, okay, how do you cope with the start of a game? How do you cope with a fan who becomes fanatical and says bad things to you. Both are different situations, but what do you do as an individual? How do you cope with various things? And it becomes a teaching process, which means, okay, what are you feeling? How do I cope? What's the next step? This is what we call cognitive behavioral, what you think. That's cognitive behavioral. What do you do? So you become the master of it. It doesn't need to be perfect. doesn't need to be, you know, win every time. That's another problem with hockey. Don't need to be, you know, uh, the master of everything of every second. Some days you're going to get beat. you got to roll and adapt. So that's what I would do for every coach, every parent. Say, here's the behavior or here's, you know, the situation. How do you teach the coping skill? Right. So coping skills are where we we sit. And you do it with five-year-olds. Put your fork over there. Now, they may not know because at age 12 or 13, things change dramatically. And that's where you see a a teenage brain start to evolve. And so you you do see this a lot. Athletes, they're flying all over the ice at 10, 12, you know, and all of a sudden, 13, they're petrified because their brain chemistry has changed. They've gone into abstract thought, which means, oh, people are now going to see me. It's just what Ben said. They're going to judge me. And they have to teach the coping skills to manage that one. So there's all these, you know, you know the, all the breathing techniques and all the mastery and self-talk and scripts and all the things that, you know, a, a qualified psychologist would do with you to get you to master that moment and you get in the moment and what used to be scary now becomes exciting. So this is a learning process, but you know, that doesn't mean just because you've got a coach, they know how to coach hockey or train people or master self-confidence and anxiety. Positional power doesn't mean expertise. You need people with those little chunks of expertise that you can learn from. Uh, it's tough to find those in, you know, youth travel team organizations or, you know, a lot of times you just get parents that maybe don't have an education or any experience in that. And sometimes they don't even have hockey experience. They, they're just the guy that's there. Well, I, you know, if you listen to Ben, I mean, he sits on the precipice of doing something fantastic. 
But listen to who he talked to or he read about. Corey Hirsch. Yep. Clint Malarchuk. Two goalies. <laughs> yeah. Okay, but you know what? Now, this, this speaks to the culture of hockey, right, Ben? Because yeah. the, the goalie, you know, Ben will be trying to cope in the locker room, and they'll just say, oh, he's a goalie, he's this, this, and this, and they'll label him. And they'll brush over, you know, the, the struggle he has to master. It's really difficult. Try being a goalie and help guys shoot pucks at you. Yeah, the, the demands are extraordinary. And so, you you know, think of it this way. And we talk about culture of, you know, you know, super masculine and all this kind of thing. We're changing that culture. You, you realize Sidney Crosby sat out an entire year for a concussion. Right. We have to do that for everybody. And when people have anxiety, we say, okay, here's where we teach it in the locker room. And if people need extra, we give them extra. And if you're not tracking your sleep, well, you're really not doing athletics anymore. Because circadian rhythms, that's your sleep cycle. You know, do you secrete melatonin at night, serotonin in the daytime? They're fancy words, but if you're not doing that, you're not going to perform at anything. So... These are the things you teach to young athletes. So you have to know about all this stuff in order to get high performers. And I guess I even reframe that as just to enjoy the activity, to be healthy enough to, to do the activity. And if you do that, bam, you have a chance to, to go forward. I think I really love Dr. Dan. I just wanted to add, I love that you pointed out that learning coping skills is as important as learning how to block a shot. In other words, we have to look at our mental health coping skills like we teach any other skill. And so to me, I keep going back to Ben when he was a, a child. Like if he just knew it wasn't about something's wrong with Ben as a child, it's just that he had to learn a skill. It, it helps someone not feel so isolated or alone and understand that I just need to learn this and, and there are ways for me to learn it, just like I've learned everything else since I've been playing on the ice. So Dr. Dan, thank you for that perspective. Well, you're welcome. I mean, I, I want Ben to talk about this more than me, but uh, the modeling that happens with people, like if Ben was in a different environment and he had an older goalie that put his arm around him and said, hey, don't worry, I'll take care of you. You know, if there was a little bit of, you know, social support, modeling, you know, when you, you get drubbed, you go, no problem, come on, let's go have a hamburger and you learn how to sign autographs and blah, blah, blah. You know, you, you learn to roll with those things. You become, you have a role model that's resilient. And this is part of the human experience. You have to have teachers that you care about, teachers that care that there's some kind of bond with to allow you to cope with all the difficulties. And it's not just hockey. It's not just, you know, soccer. It's being in school. Bullying is really serious in our culture. And I, if I understood the stats right, it's getting worse because of the virtual bullying. Mm -hmm. So we have to teach people the coping skills to handle all that kind of thing. So it's not just, you know, blocking shots. We want to make sure that it's not just about winning the game. It's about improving. And if you take the improvement model and 
we call this the growth model. Just measure where you are right now, okay, whether it's height or weight or tracking or whatever it is. Or, and you say, well, you know, put it into training, monitor yourself, try for improvements, little micro-improvements every day. and Well, that puts you in control, and off you go. You oh. can take you, it puts you in the driver's seat. It's the best model to go with. Well, that's awesome. That's awesome. All right, so we're running out of time. Uh, I want to just, one, I want to get back to Ben, and I want to thank Ben for putting your story out there and and helping us start to change the culture. And um, I want to give you the opportunity to say, however you want to wrap this up for today, What what's your advice, what, what's your takeaway from all of this, Ben? Well, the one thing that uh, has really gnawed at me uh, since I started thought, talking about this stuff and uh, whatnot, something that has really that I've seen trending in hockey over the past uh, three, four, maybe five years uh, is that I'm not sure I love the way that youth hockey and minor hockey is trending in in the sense that. It seems that these elite levels of hockey and elite levels of performance and expectations are being put on kids younger and younger. And essentially, they're being put in a mock-up pro environment. Uh, I see kids that are playing the game all year round. Their season ends in March. They take a couple weeks off, and then before you know it, I know in my home city, the tryouts for the next season start in April. And then they've got hockey camps, and they've got trainers, and they've got this. And they're doing hockey camp after hockey camp because of this coach is coaching there, and this coach is coaching at this one. And you want to get in front of the right people so you can make the team. And these kids are going all year round. They're, they're playing for teams with sponsors and coaches and owners and people who are making money and blah 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 and this is happening in a younger and younger age where i feel that some of these kids are not mature enough and not by any fault of their own just the fact that they're kids and they're not mature enough to deal with it and i think i'm seeing a really a problem with some of these kids developing some of these mental illness and mental health problems at a younger age so what I really try and, and speak out about for, for better or for worse, it's just purely my opinion. I could be right. I could be wrong. I don't know. But I believe that these kids are putting so much time into the on ice and into the gym at ages like 11, 12, 13. I feel like it's time that these kids, if you're going to put them in this environment, if this is the way that hockey's going to go, well, fine. So be it. That's That's fine you need to invest in these kids' mental well-being as well. And you need to invest in their ability to learn these coping skills like Dr. Dan says. You need to train their minds like they train their bodies. You need to train them how to deal with adversity, how to deal with these situations that they're going into. And on top of it just being a hockey-related thing, I think it's really important for kids – at a young age to not identify is I'm John, the hockey player. I'm Steve, the hockey player. 
because kids, since they're playing the game all year round and they're totally invested in it at such a young age, sometimes these kids that they that's the all they really learn to view themselves as because I know I did I I only knew myself as Ben the hockey player and for a lot of my career I lived absolutely petrified of what would happen if I was no longer Ben the hockey player because I had no idea who that person was because hockey was all I'd ever known I didn't know a life outside of hockey because I was invested in it pretty well year round. And it's a dangerous and a slippery slope because that itself can, can add more pressure than there really needs to be. So I just really think it's important for kids to attack their mental health at a young age, attack their mental health and well-being before there's a problem and to get out and do other things, to learn to be a well-rounded person so when hockey ends put your equipment away for a couple months go play soccer go play tennis go do anything you know don't completely isolate yourself in one sport because i worry that kids will kind of end up like me that they'll end up you know in their 20s and they're they're aging out of junior they're aging out of college and they're looking for that next thing and they're just like I don't know what's going to happen if I'm not playing hockey. Like, what's my life going to look like? What am I going to do? I don't have any other skills. I, hockey's all I know. I've been going to the rink since I was six. I mean, blah, 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 blah. And then before you know it, you're you're almost down the rabbit hole. And you, you've gotten there so quick you didn't even notice. Right. So right. Those, are, those are the real points that I'm starting to, to really try and learn. I wouldn't say learn on, but try and explore try and kind of seek out more information. But uh, yeah, just a long story short is train your mind like you train your body, develop yourself as a well-rounded person, and don't wait for it to break before you strengthen it in regards to your to your mind and, and whatnot. Because the stronger you can build your brain and train your brain like you train your body, you'll, you'll get better results in everything you do, whether it's sports or life. You'll, you'll only see better results if you take the time to really commit to strengthening your brain and taking care of your mental well-being. That's great advice. And uh, unfortunately, it's not just hockey that's that way. It's every sport now. Every Like football's the same yeah. way. Baseball's the same way. It's year-round. Uh, Dr. Dan, what's uh, what do you have for us on closing here? Oh, thank you, Ben. Uh, fantastic work. Uh, you know, you are on the precipice of doing something fantastic. Let us help you. There's a good article uh, from APA, American Psychological Association. Just punch it up on the Internet, Beyond Worry. That will be helpful. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. And, Ben, it's just a, an honor and a, and a privilege to talk to someone. Um, I know that you're one of the best hockey players in the world, but uh, <laughs> uh, to me, to me, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep that. Yeah, you are. But to me, your greatness comes in your openness and uh, sharing your story and, and reaching and providing encouragement and help for others uh, because of your life journey. So thank you for letting me um, join you, both Dr. Dan and Ben, today. Oh, no problem. And uh, for those of you that need somebody to talk to, uh, we're, we're reaching out to you. We want you to reach out to us. 1-800-273-TALK. That's all you have to call. There's crisis workers standing by 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We also have the Safe UT app. Once again, 24-hour 24 24 access to crisis workers. 
Um, if you see somebody going through a hard time, it's your teammate, it's a friend, it's whatever, uh, see it, talk to them about it. Uh, get them to talk to you. If, if there's something there, refer them. Right? It's just get them to see somebody else. Get them to talk. If you're not the right person to talk to, you know that, but just refer them to somebody else. Let the coaches know, let a teacher know, let somebody else know. Let's, let's help each other out. Uh, we, it starts with all of us. Whoever's listening to the podcast, whoever's coaching a kid, if you are that kid, it starts with us. We can change the culture. We can make it so that conversations can happen and people can find a happy place and, and start start healing themselves. Um, you know, and, and I know it's, it's good advice. Actually, Rebecca, you gave this to me, is when people are going through a hard time, talk to your friends, uh, start writing journals, find the ways that, uh, other ways to release those emotions. And uh, Dr. Dan, thanks so much. I know you're so busy, and it was... Uh, it was hard to get you coordinated to get you on the show, but man, you're you're always a resource for me. You're a lifeline for me, and I appreciate you being on the show with us. And uh, honestly, I, we're out of time, so that's it. Uh, we'll tell you if you want to sign up for the podcast and get uh, get subscribed to it. It's right there. It's on all, all all the places you get podcasts, including kslsports.com or the KSL Sports app. And for us, that's it. This is the Utah Puck Report. Thank you so much, guys.